so-called flying saucer. The film and the creature are authentic. The first pictures ever taken of a Sasquatch. But they got nearly up to this UFO, but it was close enough to see some creatures or things that they didn't look like human beings down there. He first asked me what I was called, and uh, he asked me, he said, but why are you frightened? He said, don't be frightened, we wish you no harm. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Strange Dispatch. This is a show where we talk about strange and unusual anything, whatever it is, phenomenon, occurrences, weather. We like to discuss all things uh, strange and unusual here. My name is Andrew Jewell. I am the co-host of The Strange Dispatch, also the editor of a little paranormal magazine called Strange Days. This podcast is an offshoot of Strange Days. If you are unfamiliar Feel free to check us out at strangedayszine.com. It is a printed version of all things high strangeness, 14 related. So as always on the Strange Dispatch, I'm joined by Ian Schneider. How are you, Ian? I'm great. How are you, Andrew? You said you were doing you were doing well. I'm doing well. I'm really we're here in the same room. We're looking at each other. We're recording together. This hasn't happened in since before winter, and I feel really great about it. Uh, me too. I was excited coming over here. I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was just before Christmas yeah. of 2020, the last time that we were here at Strange Days headquarters. I went out of town for work. You went out of town for work. And it just hasn't. Um, I mean, we made it work. It's nice to be back. Uh, yes, it I is. mean, it's great to be back at Strange Days headquarters. And it's we're just getting started here. But I can already it's like, excuse my language. It feels goddamn good to be back here podcasting the the right way. I'm you know? happy to hear you say that. Um, you know what? I'm not even going to uh, cut this out. I forgot to turn off the air conditioner, so we're just going to take a quick second for me to go do that. I'll stay here. You guys are fancy. You have two air conditioners. Yeah, we 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 do. We're kind of we're kind of spoiled. Um, but yeah, like you said, I, I, same. I'm super happy to be home. Really, really happy to be recording back here with you. Happy to be recording another episode of the Dispatch in general. It's also been a, a, you know a couple weeks since we did that and. Today feels like fall all of a sudden in Brooklyn, which fucking rules. I'm wearing a long sleeve. I think I rushed into it a little bit leaving the house today. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's overcast. Tomorrow's September. I can wear a long sleeve shirt. I don't think it's quite long sleeve weather yet, but the point is that it's it's starting to feel that way and it's starting to look that way. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So it's a good day all around. Also, yesterday, the new volume of Strange Days dropped, volume seven, the summer issue. So it was very appropriate that the day after that showed up. It now feels like fall. But um, if you haven't haven't received that yet, check it out. Like I said, strangedayszine.com. You can join our Patreon and get a subscription to it. This issue I'm really proud of. It's a really, really fun one. And I think y'all will like it. And if you are a, a patron or a subscriber to the zine. I dropped a huge stack of volume seven off of the post office this morning. So large that I received dirty looks from the staff that were working there. Cause I was putting like two at a time into the slot. I think I dropped 50 off, maybe 45 off this morning. So they're on their way out into the world. You walk into a post office in Brooklyn and you receive dirty looks from the staff. It's, it's just, true, man. you know, yeah. Uh, ours is particularly bad, but I'm sure they all feel that way. But yeah, so you know, it, things are looking up. Anything, anything new, anything weird happening with you these days worth worth discussing before we get into our topic today? 
Uh, no, nothing weird. Everything's been going extremely well for me, which I guess in a sense is kind of weird. Uh, so I don't want to jinx it or anything, but uh, good vibes all around on oh, my yeah. end of things. Uh, it's been a beautiful summer. Got to enjoy it a little bit. You know, we're back into the swing of things. We're working again. Uh, I was telling a friend the other day that I think last summer, you know, COVID summer yeah, set yeah. Uh, very unrealistic precedent for summer activities. Right. You know, we camped for the first time a weekend ago. Uh, I went to the beach for the first time the first week of August this summer. Right. So all these things that I thought were uh, going to be part of my new summer life or, you know, things you only get to do once or twice. But having said that, it's been a, a beautiful summer and just a very productive uh, vibe. So, yeah, I'm I'm great, man. Awesome. Nothing weird, though. Yeah. Nothing weird's happened to me in... Ugh. I can't remember the last time something weird happened to me. <laughs> well, it's spooky season is starting, so maybe right. maybe you're due. The universe is saving it up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I got to tell you, by the way, before we move on, the new volume of Strange Days looks fucking awesome. I'm seeing it for the first time uh, landing over here at Strange Days headquarters. And the layout and everything, it's just like, it's beautiful, dude. Anybody who's not already receiving these, you got to get on it. Whether you're, you know, ordering them, subscribing, whatever it is. Is there anywhere locally to pick them up yet? There, have we know, figured that out? You know out? what? There is, and they don't have this issue yet, but if you are in Brooklyn, uh, there is an independent bookstore called Quimby's in East Williamsburg area. It's on Metropolitan Ave. They carry Strange Days among a, a huge assortment of zines of all kinds. Like, no matter what you're into, whether it's like punk rock or like, I, I don't even know, like baking, they have everything there. They carry Strange Days. I'll drop a stack of the new ones off to them soon. If you're in Portland, Maine, there's a really rad record store called the Braxis. Um, the guy who owns it, his name is Matt. He's an excellent dude. He's he was the first person to stock Strange Days, uh, and he so he gets a stack every time we get new ones. And then a couple other stores pop up here and there um, that order from time to time. But yeah, if you're in Brooklyn, Quimby's. If you're in Portland, Maine, a Braxis. And if you own a bookstore and you want to carry it. Email me at strangedayszine at gmail.com. We would love to uh, to make these accessible to anybody who wants them. And they're they're you know it's a zine. It's 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 a small independent thing, and we charge according to that. So they're very affordable. And if you are interested in getting Strange Days and you can't afford it, also email me at strangedayszine.com. I'll send you one. We just want people to uh, enjoy the work that we put into this little fun paranormal fourteen zine. So. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. Nothing too strange. You know, I talked a couple episodes back about how I felt like I was getting signs from Odin yes. himself. Nothing really like that. Nothing has come up again like it did like that stretch of two weeks. I do still see a lot of blackbirds following me around and they're usually in groups of two, but lately it's, I think it's been more crows and ravens. So it's probably just uh, me looking for something that's not there. Um, I did, I told you about this. On my last during my last month in Massachusetts and the job that I was on, I had a fucking UFO sighting, the first of my life in broad daylight with like four coworkers. They all saw it. I wasn't even the one who spotted it. And of course, like when I tell people this story now, I feel like I can see them rolling their eyes and they're like, of course, like the dude who runs a paranormal magazine and podcast saw a UFO. But I, I it was the first time I've ever seen a UFO with my own eyes. I'm not going to get into it now. We'll talk about it on another episode, but it is a, it's, it was cool. It was weird. Um, and that's probably the last weird thing that I had happen to me, I guess. Uh, I'm jealous. <laughs> I haven't seen any UFOs ever in my life. Uh, I guess it's my turn next. 
Yeah, yeah. It's not really something you can go looking for. Uh, no. I mean, clearly you were at work. You weren't looking for it. Right. Which kind of validates it right. in, a, in a small way. And I wasn't the first person to spot it. Two other people spotted it first. Again, I'm, I'll tell the story on another episode, maybe a Patreon-exclusive episode. We'll, we'll get some other folks on talking about what they've seen lately. But yeah, it, it did. I was broad daylight at work. Two people pointed it out to me. Like, this was not like... I was out in the woods by myself in the middle of the night and saw something like it was, it was pretty wild. Did they run to you and grab you and say, somebody get Andrew over here? One of them knew one, one yeah. of them. He was a, he was a health and safety monitor because that's something we have on film sets now and in, in the time of COVID. And he, he know, he knew that I have the zine in the podcast and he like came over and grabbed me. He was like, do you see this? Like, what is this? Cause we were all outside and it, yeah, it was pretty wild, but we'll get into that story another time. Um, one more quick note before we get into today's topic uh, is I'm hopefully going to have this podcast turned around very quickly. So hopefully this event will not have happened yet by the time you hear this. But this Saturday, September 4th, Strange Days will have a table at the Pine Bush UFO Fair in Pine Bush, New York, which is exactly what it sounds like. This whole town shuts out, shuts down and instead of having like a county fair. They have a fair that is UFO themed because this is like up near the Hudson Valley, which is a huge hotspot for UFO activity. The town of Pine Bush has a UFO museum that opened sometime within the last like 18 months. We're going to check that out while I'm up there. So if you happen to hear this and you are in New York and have, have uh, no plans on Labor Day weekend, um, we'll have a table up there at the Pine Bush UFO fair. So, so look for that. Um, all right. Well, let's, do some, let's take a quick break and then we will get into today's topic, which is appropriately weird and I'm stoked to talk about. All right, today we are going to talk about something that sort of piggybacks on something that we have talked about on the Strange Dispatch in previous episodes. And those episodes uh, are available on our Patreon if you're interested, Strange Days Zine. Uh, we might release them in the future on the on the general Strange Dispatch uh, feed. But if you are interested, they're there. But today we are talking about Wild Men of North America, which sort of goes in tandem with, like I said, stuff we've discussed before, Sasquatch in North America, as well as like, the 411 phenomenon and missing persons in North America. These all, you know, have intersecting circles of a Venn diagram because we're talking about remote wildernesses, national parks, unexplained creatures, beings in these areas. So we're going to jump in and, and, and talk about this. So, you know, when I was researching this, one thing that struck me is the National Wilderness Preservation System in the United States, which was this incorporates state forests, national forests, national parks, you know, um, wildlife management areas, all of these things consists of over 111 million acres, which is like 174,000 square miles in the United States. And this is about four and a half percent of the entire U.S. We're talking about an area larger than California that are these untouched wildernesses in, in this country. And and these are areas that are vast and unruly. And, you know, sure, some of them have nice groomed trails that people go hiking in. But I mean, if you get into deep parts of these places in like Appalachia and such, this is this is like this is out there, right? I mean, it's like wild, super wild. Yeah, it's totally wild. And I think a lot of when people think the term, you know, like a national park, they think, well, it's 
you have access to all of it. I mean, a natural park, it, it usually, I, I don't know, I think often it'll say national park and preserve. Right. But usually what that means is that like 80, 90% of it is just a preserve. That There is no way you can really access it or would even want to. Right. Um, and then like a sliver of it, a fraction of it is the actual public park that has hiking trails or maybe there's a, a, a more of an area for hardcore campers or hikers or whatever it is. Right. But that's, you know, it, it's not an enormous park. It's a preserve that has a tiny public area exactly. in it. Or I don't know if those other areas are not available to the public, but you've been to places where you're just like, there's totally a way. Why would it so dense? Why would anybody want to go there? Right. You're not, you're not going to see like the more epic stuff or anything. I think that stuff's pretty carved out. Yes. So this stuff, it's like, exactly. there's not, there's no reason to, to go back there unless or you were it's, it's looking just really for a, difficult. Like you said, yeah. When, when I was in Massachusetts, I drove by this, this preserve every day that looked beautiful but it's like mostly bog and there's just like no i don't maybe you are allowed to hike there maybe you're not i actually don't know that but it would be very difficult to even get back there so when you know when you're thinking about this and you're thinking about how much area of the country this this takes up and then also some other statistics that i came across that, that add to this uh since 1916 more than 1500 visitors to national parks have gone missing without a trace which 1500 is not uh, does not sound like a huge number but when you think about that is those are just the people who have gone missing without a trace these are people like the number of people that they they go missing and they find whether dead or alive is much larger but these are people who go missing and they never find any piece of clothing any bone fragment nothing so that's a lot of that's a lot of people i think when you hear these numbers it's it seems really impersonal right but just imagine for those of you who who know andrew imagine if andrew went missing and wasn't ever found and they never found a single trace like how what an effect that would have on your life what a mystery in your brain that would be absolutely every single day for the rest of your life where did you go what happened and imagine that happened Andrew 1500 times. It's a lot lot, for what? A hundred years. Yes. That's it's, it's a lot. You know, if it happened 20 times, I think that would be a lot. So 15, you know, of course people get lost. There's some degree of rationale, you know, you're going out into the wilderness, something, you know, things can happen, but. But yeah, I mean, it's one thing to get lost and then be rescued or get lost and your remains are found. It's another to never find a trace of it. So, you know, when you're thinking about that and you're th- and you're thinking about how much ground these wilderness areas cover it just it, it's a testament to what kind of weird shit could be going on out there i mean it, who's to say that every weird story that anybody has ever said is true obviously they're not but like stories about sasquatch stories about these really really strange um circumstances in which these missing 411 people go missing it it it's just with the number of people that go missing and the amount of area it covers it, to me it, this is prime territory for weird shit to be happening so thinking about that to me it seems totally plausible that there may be creatures are being living undetected in some of these areas but we're not just talking about sasquatch as we've covered before obviously i do believe some of these areas are are possibly where sasquatch lives or at least travels to from time to time but we're also talking about other things today we're talking about you know wild men could there be wild men that are living out in the backcountry of of north america and 
it sounds like a stretch at first and there are there's a lot of currently in like today's climate there's a lot of weird misinformation uh folklore not misinformation because it's it's meant to be harmless but there's a lot of urban legend about this specific topic which we'll discuss later but we're just talking about whether or not it's possible and and this isn't a new idea to us you know stories of wild men living in north america date back hundreds of years the sort of wild or feral men we're thinking about here differs from sasquatch because most of the time these encounters describe human beings who seem to be mostly human um undomesticated hairy and feral for back of a lack of a better term as opposed to you know ape like sasquatch creatures who we obviously love equally as much so let's take a look at some of these stories about wild men that go you know back hundreds of years in north america um the first first couple of stories I, I pulled are from uh, a book called Chasing American Monsters by Jason Ufut. And this is a, a book that I picked up a couple of years ago. And it's cool. It's like an, in, it's a state by state index of like cryptids and, and weird creatures and stuff. It's really fun. So in our own backyard of upstate New York, there are, there have been plenty of encounters with wild men dating back to around 1818. One of the first happened outside of a, a tiny town called Ellisburg near the Canadian border when a quote unquote gentleman of of unquestionable veracity saw a hairy stooped man running through the woods he saw this he had this encounter he ran back to town he told everybody about it and he was actually able to rally like a large group of townspeople like frankenstein frankenstein style to go try and hunt this wild man but they didn't see it again and you can find these stories all over not just in new york you can find them all over the country you know similar ones another one in August of 1838, near the Pennsylvania-New York border, a young hunter heard something running through the woods in his direction. He was expecting, you know, a deer to pop out. He was hunting deer. He was completely shocked to see a six- or seven-year-old boy covered in black hair pop out of the brush. Terrified and unsure of what to do, he actually pointed his rifle and took a shot at the boy, but he was so nervous, and the boy ran back into the wilderness, never to be seen again. And, and this boy, you know, the hunting teen, told his, his dad, and, uh, you know, who knows what kind of ridicule uh, he, he had to face after that. But again, uh, these stories are pretty prevalent and in, in maybe more so prevalent back then than they are now, which uh, I don't want to question uh, the integrity of the journalists back then, but maybe some of these stories were embellished a little bit, but who knows? Maybe not. Uh, Another one that comes from upstate New York in 1869, a wild man was seen by a group of nearly a hundred people. These witnesses all said the same thing, that the the wild man was running with a quote unquote springing, jerking hitch in its gait, which gave him more of the appearance of a wild animal than a human being. Uh, One witness described it as having long, matted, thick black hair uh, that was uncombed, had wild glaring eyeballs which seemed to burst from their socket and he said the witness said that the beastly appearance of this thing whether man or animal continued to haunt him Um, and you know more and more these stories are are popping up all over around this time mid to late 1800s and you got to probably take some of them with a grain of salt but in this case a group of 100 people told a newspaper that they saw it so you know they must have had a sighting of some kind uh, the next one we we uh, 
have here is in July of 1884, hunters reported seeing a wild man in Iowa, uh, excuse me, a wild woman in Iowa. This is one of the only ones that was specific that it was a wild woman. Um, the hunter said when she realized that the men had snuck up on her, she emitted an unearthly scream and took off running away from them at a tremendous speed. Now, those are two important details that we will continue to talk about here. The unearthly scream and the tremendous speed. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, a lot of people say that these things have this like terrifying scream that really it's really off-putting and then then they also move with the speed of a wild animal um and again going back you know these accounts feel different to me than accounts of sasquatch they're describing humans that just appear to be feral and I, i you know i don't mean that term in offense and i hope no one takes offense and i'll limit my use of it but we're talking about wild humans like living as if they were animals, not Sasquatch, but humans here. And, and I mean, I, I don't think I need to to uh, dwell too much on the difference of that, right? Like, I, it's pretty, it, I feel like the audience will understand what we're talking about here. Yeah, I don't even think you need to be a quote unquote into this stuff to understand the difference. Right. You know, I mean, we can we can get more into, you know, the details of what we, what we think is going on right. uh, a little bit later, but it's just like, it's not that hard to imagine that there's some crazy people living out in the woods that are for whatever reason more connected to that way of living than our way right of living it's not some it's not a conspiracy thing or anything like that it's just like some weird mentally ill people that <laughs> ended up living out in the woods right um yeah it's in it, it it's very strange some you know some more encounters a lot of encounters came out of and continue to come out of Tennessee, like the Appalachian Mountains area. Um, in the 1800s, early 1800s in McClare County, Tennessee, several encounters were reported by residents who described a creature that wasn't entirely man, but was not Bigfoot either. These people made a point to say, this isn't a Bigfoot, this is something else. They described the wild man as being nearing seven feet tall with fiery red eyes, dark gray or red hair that hung past his waist. And they said the creature's scream could freeze a man's blood. So again, we're talking about fiery eyes and just some sort of blood curling scream, which we, we see time and time again in these encounters. And that also, I think stands out from, from Sasquatch is, you know, I don't, I don't think that, uh, that's the type of sound that you associate with Sasquatch as some sort of like terrifying scream. I've never heard of a Sasquatch screaming. Yeah. The way I understand it, they communicate telepathically. So they would have no need to scream. Right. Um, Another account here that I took from uh, the next couple uh, accounts are from uh, a guy named Micah or Mika Hanks. He writes for Mysterious Universe. He, he's a great researcher. He wrote about uh, something that happened in, on October 17th in 1869 out of Vermont, which talks about a pair of men who had been hunting south of a town called Williamstown, and they encountered a creature about five feet high, resembling a man in form and movement, but covered all over with bright red hair and having a long straggling beard with very wild eyes. So here's the third or fourth account where they're talking about how wild this this thing's eyes are. Another reoccurring thing I'm seeing is red hair. Red hair is a reoccurring thing. Yes, it absolutely is. Some of them say gray or black, but red is is a reoccurring hair. Uh, red hair is a reoccurring thing, especially um, when, when we're talking about cases specifically to Tennessee. The Tennessee wild man is sort of its own legendary version of this thing, and that almost always has it with red hair. But back to Vermont, um, the hunter said when they when first seen, the creature sprang from behind a rocky cliff and started for the woods nearby. When 
they mistook it for a bear. They they actually said we, we they mistook it for a bear or other wild animal and took a shot at it. So they didn't know what they were shooting at. They just saw something move. They just wanted to shoot something. Just took a shot. Um, believing they had wounded it, uh, the creature then came at the men who reportedly lost their guns and ammunition in the fight and dared not return for fear of encountering the strange being. So, so what does that mean? Does that mean that they fought it and they ran out of bullets and then they lost possession of their guns or yeah i mean or it, they just lost possession of their guns and the only bullets they had were in the guns but yeah but either way they said that they thought they believed they had wounded it and then the thing attacked them which again is not you never hear about a sasquatch attacking anybody you hear about a sasquatch like as soon as it realizes that it's you know someone is aware of its presence it's getting out of there whether on foot or telepathically supernaturally sasquatch don't come at people they don't attack people but these wild men or wild women do there are there are multiple encounters that say that they were attacked so i don't know that feels like a really interesting uh you know distinguishing point to me to me and you don't really hear about many cryptids or creatures of folklore attacking people. Most of the time, these things, when you're talking about them, they're elusive and they want to stay elusive and they don't want to have any sort of confrontation. But Right. There's a s- strangely human element. Exactly. To attack, like, going to get you attacking you, which, you know, of course makes people so much scarier than any other monster or anything that Absolutely. we could uh, want to talk about on this show. Do you think that Sasquatch they're bummed and they think it's a derogatory term to be lumped in with wild men. Probably. Do you think it bums them out that people don't know the difference? Yeah, if yeah, like yeah, that they consider themselves more, you know, highbrow than wild men. Uh, I, I consider I consider them to be. I mean, yeah, these we're talking about telepathic, telepathic, you know, uh, advanced creatures versus just wild humans, which humans are already kind of fucking wild anyway. I mean, we attack without, you know, provocation all the time. You don't have to be living in the backwoods of Appalachia for, to find someone who's going to do that. Yeah, we're the ones attacking them. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. These guys shot it <laughs> and then they're, then they're upset because it attacked them and they lost their fucking gun in the fight and so they wouldn't return to the, the area for fear of encountering the bean. Well, yeah, now it has a gun. Like, wait till it figures out how to use it. I, I wouldn't go back there either. Uh, following the account given by those two young hunters, it was reported that years prior to that incident, a, a quote-unquote strange animal had been seen in the same exact area, which was man-like in appearance, but so wild that no one could ever approach it near enough to tell what it was or where it dwelt. Um, people in those old days reportedly sent hunting hunting parties out in search of that thing, and they and they never found it. So, you know, this this is just an interesting thing about this. This account happened in 1869, and even by then there was already lore about these creatures living in that area. So it just shows you how far back this this uh, the idea of wild men living in in North America and, and all over the world. But we're talking about North America goes, and these accounts range. You know, it's all over. It's it's here in New York where we are. This one was in Vermont, a lot in Tennessee, a fair amount back you know where ian is from back in washington and that's that's probably where like the sasquatch wildman turf wars are really happening is probably washington state well when i was researching the psychic sasquatch article that i wrote a few volumes back that was a uh, something that came up uh almost hand in hand was the natives recounting them in the same way they would uh, they they would discuss wild men, right? Um, 
if you remember, there's the uh, the salmon thieves. Yeah, yeah. And so there was, of course, if you're catching a glimpse of something or, you know, if a little kid sees it or whatever it is, you can get these two things confused. But there, for every random source I found about 1800s indigenous people's accounts of Sasquatch, there always seemed to be some talk of wild men right. as well. So clearly, again, two very different things, but kind of just as, you know, it's like, oh, I saw something out in the woods today. Well, what was it? Was it a Sasquatch or a wild man? They were just so both likely candidates yeah. if you saw something strange. And the next story is exactly what you're talking about. Um, so in 2018, uh, the White River Valley Museum near Tacoma, Washington, which is a museum that I think features um, a lot of First Nationer uh, driven exhibits. Um, they hosted a show called Sasquatch Ancient Native Perspective on the Mysterious Beings of the Woods. And the show not only highlighted the beliefs and legends of Sasquatch as believed by the local First Nations tribes, but also had a collection about stories uh, or had a collection of stories about wild men. Um, one of them that I thought was really interesting was uh, an elder from the, and I'm sorry for mispronouncing this, but I believe it's Suquamish tribe who were originally from an area outside of what is now Olympic National forest um this tribal elder said that her grandmother was a small girl living at the mouth of the duwamish river when wild men entered their home one night to steal the fish that the family had caught um her her family actually caught and and uh contained one of the wild men and kept them with the family. It just became like a member of the family. This is, this is a wild men version of Harry and the Hendersons, I guess. So uh, it's the, uh, the grandmother said that he used to go hunting um, and he, they would send this wild man there, there that lived with him out into the woods and he would come back with a deer over his shoulder with a broken neck, uh, even though he didn't have any weapons. So this wild man would literally go hunt deer with his bare hands, allegedly. Um, the, the family kept him for a while and then they let him go. After that, they would they would find a deer or two with broken necks lying in front of their door in the morning. And often they would hang dried fish outside and the wild man would take it at night. So uh, after they, the woman said after they had this encounter, they never really had to worry about having a problem with the wild men because they were kind to this one and it, it seemed to take a liking to them. But that's a pretty wild story. And, and I assume if you're listening this far into the podcast, you're able to suspend your disbelief a little bit. And, and I think that's probably necessary. But yeah, it's that's a really interesting story. And also a theme that we, I read about in other parts of the country, the idea of capturing a wild man and holding it in captivity. There were a lot of these like... Um, P.T. Barnum types out there who said that they had caught wild men like deep in the mountains of Appalachia and they would have, you know, pay them a nickel to go see it at their show or whatever. And this is something that happened for uh, for a really long time. And, and I guess it's, I don't know, it's sad in a way, right? I don't want to see a wild man captured in a zoo. You gotta let him be wild. Yeah, it seems odd, I guess, if you're in the Freak business. Yeah, it is. Fiscally makes sense. I, I did read, um, it was King George the first. This isn't North America. Obviously, this was, uh, was happening in like Germany and France in the 15 or 1600s. Um, somebody had caught a, a wild boy ah. and they had done that same thing. I guess they weren't parading him around in a circus, but they basically tried to, um, 
modernize him and clip his nails and teach him manners and stuff. And it just didn't work. I mean, it's a like a feral kid. You can't right. untrain. I don't remember how that story resolved or what the... If he grew up... What, what happens? I don't... Yeah, I don't... I don't. Maybe I didn't finish the story. Let's assume it had a happy ending. Yeah, I think... Uh, Let's just hope it had a happy He became ending. a prim and proper gentleman. Or, no, or they just like... Someone who had a lot of land just like was like... Here's a house. Here's your land. Take it. Go live your life. We won't bother you anymore. He probably went to live with a nice family. Yes. In the country. Nice night went. Nice family out on a, a farm upstate, just like your uh, childhood dog did when it came time. I guess my point is that if you see a child, like, well, I can't just let him. Sure. Yeah. That's you, know, you gotta try to help him. I mean, if you saw, if you were out hiking upstate and you saw a kid, your first instinct would be, okay, I gotta get you because you don't know what's good for you. And I got to get you to somebody that can help you. Yeah. It wouldn't occur to you to be like, well, this is who you are and what you are. You should probably stay out here. And that's kind of like where the reality of what these things actually are kind of starts to come into it. Yeah. These aren't things that are like sprung out of a supernatural well out in the middle of the wilderness. These are humans that, for whatever reason, have ended up out there. And I think a lot, you know, as I was kind of doing the research and reading the stories in the past day or two, if you think about what a homeless person in the city looks like, that's basically kind of what they, you know, sure. they're matted, they're dirty, their behavior is odd. And those are people that live in, you know, Andrew and I are, we live in New York City. Those are people that are in a very developed, you know, area. If you're talking about somebody in the 1800s who is maybe initially part of a group of people that are kind of like living out in the wilderness and Appalachia. Okay. And one of them has a mental illness or there's some, whatever reason, like it's, it's really not that far of a stretch for no, me to think that just like they, they're already kind of isolated to begin with. When you put like some type of mental thing, you know, I don't know. There, there's many different reasons that people become homeless. Usually some type of mental ha- handicap is, is the culprit. So yeah, a person who is, you know, an outcast or just doesn't feel comfortable being around other people because they don't know, they don't like other people, they're paranoid, all these things, end up out in the woods a couple years later, your hair's going to be matted, you're going to have a beard, you're right. going to look dirty. Right. And that's just, you know, I don't think there's really much more to it than that. That in itself is, you know, crazy and worth talking about. Sure. But I don't think there's some extreme supernatural element to it. I think the... The interesting part of this, the weird part of this, is going to be the second half of the conversation where we talk about why they would be interfering with, right. I don't want to say us, but, you know, people from the civilized modern world kind of going into their territory. That's where it sure. becomes, that's where the, that's what the weird thing is that we're talking about. And there, in, in just to go back and we're going to get to this at the end of, uh, at the end of this topic, but there, and, you know, there is definitely a distinction in, in uh, between what the idea of a wild person in the sense that we're talking about and then someone who is maybe just living off the grid in deep Appalachia and is choosing to do that and they're doing their own thing and like I said we're going to discuss that more but I, I do think it's uh, it's important to understand you know that we're, we're not trying to uh, not not trying to make it make entertainment out of anything here anybody's uh, well-being or or mental illness or anything like that but yeah again I, I want to chime in I want to 100% agree with Andrew it's not about 
oh, look at these crazy fucks that are all weird that live out in the woods. It's just like, I think we're kind of setting the stage for how can this type of person exist? Exactly. And then we want to talk about the weird phenomena of us interacting with them and overlapping and worlds colliding. And um, if there is some abduction or missing persons, then it's, uh, you know, Again, we'll we'll discuss all this we'll get, in a little we're, bit. We're going to get to it. Yeah, that, yeah. There's we're not trying to we're not trying to make fun of anybody for uh, being mentally ill and living in the woods. Absolutely not. Um, so moving forward, we well, a couple more accounts that we're going to cover, and then we're going to get into the second half of this episode, which is about one specific thing that we wanted to talk about, which is really interesting. But um, this this account was also written um, about by Micah or Mika Hanks from Mysterious Universe. Um, and he talked about... Talk- Shout out to Mysterious Universe, by oh, the yeah, way. That's one Mysterious of my... Mysterious is great. I don't keep up with a lot of the, the weird podcasts. That's one that I always... Yeah, Mysterious Universe. I, I, I don't miss it. Those guys are so on point. They're so good. If we could aspire to do a tenth of what they do, Absolutely. episode to episode I would be completely happy and the their website is is great as well it's such a good resource they the research that goes into their topics is great but um, so uh, in the 80s there was this Louisiana hunter named Mike Woolley who had a had a terrifying experience when he was hunting in like the deep backwoods of Louisiana he said he was sitting in his tree stand when the sound of an animal crashing through the brush caught his attention after a few moments he spotted the source of the sound which was a small doe that burst it out and stopped directly beneath the tree that he had a stand in. Uh, he expected that the doe was probably running from uh, a pursuing buck. You know, maybe it was um, the rut, maybe they were mating. And so he waited eagerly for a buck to pop out so he could, you know, presumably take a shot at it. But instead of a buck, a hair covered humanoid emerged heading, uh, heading straight for the deer. The figure stopped short of the deer when it suddenly noticed Wooly in the tree above. Wooly was afraid and unsure of what to do, so he raised his rifle and, and looked through the scope. And he he said that he was too scared to take a shot because as he was looking through the scope, he noticed or not noticed, but he realized like that he was looking at a human of some form. He said uh, the face was too human. The eyelashes, the teeth, the jaw structure, the forehead. The face was light brown, like it had a dark suntan. But I couldn't pull the trigger because something told me this ain't right. It's not the right thing to do. He said the thing uh, then growled at him in a way that reminded him of a lion's roar. He's sort of standing there trying to figure out what to do. He's obviously terrified when all of a sudden a loud whistle seemed to respond to the scream from the being in front of him. And the whistle came from the top of a nearby ridge. He said the wild man in front of him appeared to call back with a similar similar whistle, and this is when he decided it was time to get the hell out of there. So he hurried out of the tree stand and, and took off at a sprint toward his truck, and he, he mentioned that it was down like a logging road. So while this thing was distracted by whatever whistle, he, he made a break for it. He said he just... Uh, he was he had just about made it to his vehicle when he turned around and saw that this thing was pursuing him, so he fired a warning shot. He, he barely made it into the cab of his truck when he saw a second being emerge from the, from the brush and stand there with the first one that had chased him. And they watched as he sped out of there as fast as the truck could go. That is fucking terrifying. Oh, that is bone chilling. Yeah, they terrifying. have a, a signal for calling in reinforcements. But let me ask you. So when I was reading your outline this morning, just, and just honestly, if you had a gun. I mean, I don't think shooting one of these things. I, I forget I said that. Nothing to do with the gun. If you got in your truck and you locked the door, 
wouldn't you just kind of drive away slowly and try to get a better look? I mean, you're maybe it's a little ignorant of me. I have no idea the absolute terror you would be experiencing. I think you would be fucking frightened. You just want to get the fuck out of there? I think so. I think I'd want to kind of, I'd, I'd be getting out of there. But I mean, once you're in the truck, yeah. But who, like, who knows what the scene was like? I guess they were, you know, pursuing him. I, I, it would be very scary, but just. I mean, just think about that, though. Like, you're this. He just. The first part of this experience alone would be terrifying. He's hunting. A doe comes out, and it's being pursued by a wild man. He's like, "Oh, I don't know what to do." So he, he scopes up on him. And he's like, well, "I can't shoot this thing. It's clearly a man. I can't shoot it." Then it screams at him, and then, so the terror is just increasing. And then something else responds to the scream, whistles, and the thing in front of you whistles back. So you know that there's another one of these things somewhere out there that you can't see. You make a break for your truck. You finally get there and you see both of them there. I mean, I I think that my nerves would just be shot. I I mean, I'm not saying, I don't know. It's so easy to, to pretend what we would do in these situations. And it's not exclusive to this. It's like, you know, when you see bad videos of UFOs or Sasquatch or whatever, like, can't you just like stand still for a second and like get a clear, like whatever. Right. But this is one where I truly think if I was in that situation, I would be fucking scary. I, I don't know. I mean, this is like, we're talking back deep backwoods, Louisiana. This is like pretty wild and rural. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, I guess this is the first time that we're seeing them communicate. Yeah. And I mean, seeing two, two of them. Yeah. The idea of two of them. So that, that's a whole different thing it feels that's not scary. that's not a person who was isolated by society or intentionally isolated themselves from society for whatever reason this is well it was like a family of them partners domestic partners yeah. mates who knows uh pretty terrifying stuff yeah i don't know i think i would be terrified but who knows so moving on from Louisiana one of the last reported encounters that I could find um, with a wild man at least in Appalachia happened in the late 90s in northeastern Tennessee near the Watua Cliffs Watuaga Cliffs I'm sorry one of those it's uh, it's definitely like a first nation or name um, or word that I can't pronounce but this guy named Rob Phillips who actually went on to become a paranormal investigator after this incident um, at the time he was not I don't think he was doing a night hike with his cousin uh, in this park near these cliffs when they had a really scary encounter late one summer night as they were on the trail making their way to the cliffs it started to rain already sucky you're on a night hike it starts to rain bummer mood is instantly killed suddenly on the trail without any explanation everything in the forest seemed to become completely silent and still and this is a common occurrence in paranormal encounters sometimes called uh, the oz effect and it's when you know you're out and you're you're doing your thing and the the cicadas are going and crickets and maybe some birds and there's like a you know rustling here and there and all of a sudden everything stops and is silent the animals stop everything seems to stop Nothing seemed to move or make a sound for several moments until they heard twigs snapping off the trail. So that caught their attention. And this was immediately followed by a scream unlike anything the pair had ever heard before. Uh, Phillips, the witness, said that it was not human nor was it animal sounding. He said it was just a really loud, blood-curling scream. 
Obviously, we've heard that before. Uh, without a word, he and his cousin both took off running, but they became separated in the dark woods. He hit up, Phillips hid uh, up against a large tree, and he stayed there afraid to move or make a sound. Once again, he heard the sounds of twigs breaking, but this time it seemed to come from all around him all at once. Obviously, he's completely frightened. Uh, after a few moments, it stopped briefly, only to start again, but this time from the canopy above him. He hears noise rustling, twigs snapping in the canopy above him. It was then that he noticed a large being, 20 feet or more, up in a tree uh, that was about 15 feet in front of him. He said, I saw it in the tree, and then I saw my cousin, and we took off. We made it to the top of the hill, and it was at the bottom of the hill growling. We ran for the cars and got out of there. He later described what he saw as uh, a being that was nearly nine feet tall, stout, covered in gray fur with red eyes, and he also said it had a terrible, pungent smell that he would never forget. He said, I was always told that if you're out in the woods and the smell of death comes to get out of there, I now know what they mean. That night, I smelled the stink like something had died. It smelled like a body that had died and been left laying out in the sun. So another really terrifying encounter and, and things that we've seen, uh, you know, the, the terrifying or the, the scream that, that it is terror inducing, um, the fiery red eyes. This time it said gray fur, not red fur. But yeah, these I mean, a lot of these encounters have the same details and it's pretty wild, interesting stuff. Um, other stories about modern day encounters can be found all over online. And we're going to get into more about the lore in in that this topic has on the internet in a little bit. But I found a, a Reddit post that was interesting where a, a Redditor posted about an interview, which I was unable to track down. So take this for you know what it is. Um, he said he read an interview with a retired Bureau of Land Management officer who described a run-in with a wild man. Uh, the officer said that while he was surveying deep in the backcountry once, he uh, had a run-in with a man that he that if it wasn't for the fact that it walked upright and had blue eyes, he would have never have guessed it was a modern human. He said the thing was covered um, thick in thickly caked mud, had thick black hair all over. Uh, both its hair and its beard were knotted and unkempt, and he mentioned uh, an offensive smell in the area. And he said the wild man was covered in mud and then also like an assortment of twigs and grass and various other elements of the forest were stuck to the mud and it created a really really uh unique and um un uh, fuck that's the word i'm thinking uh, effective and it, it created a really unique and effective camouflage he said once the, th the bean spotted him it stood completely still and he said if he had looked away and then looked back he probably wouldn't have been able to spot the wild man because it was that well camouflaged into his surroundings so that is also terrifying to think that like you could just be out hiking and this there might be something there watching that you literally have no idea that's a really scary thought in my mind so these you know these are some of the encounters that go back 200 years at this point of these wild creatures living in North America, all over the country. I mean, we've only covered a handful of states here, but I'm, I'm sure you can find encounters in nearly every state in the continental U.S. if you dig deep enough. Uh, but we're going to round it out with a, with a, a story that has sort of taken on uh, some lore of its own uh, that incorporates a possible wild man sighting with very much a missing 411 case. Um, really interesting topic that sort of is what got us going down this rabbit hole to begin with. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about the disappearance of Dennis Martin.
also, I, in my opinion, this is this story is where a lot of contemporary legends about feral people living in national parks come stems from. Um, this was a significant source of the modern day lore that you now read about, and and this is the disappearance of a young man named Dennis Martin. And Dennis was a six year old boy who went missing while he was hiking in the Smoky Mountains National Park in 1969. And he was out there with his father, whose name was Chris, his grandfather, and his older brother. Uh, And they were out there for Father's Day weekend. Um, It was a family tradition that they would go out, all the men in the Martin family. And on their second day in the park, they had, they spent the night in one area, hiked to like in one um, shelter where they stayed. And they, the second day they were hiking uh, near the Appalachian Trail to a shelter at a place called Spence Field. And while they were there, they met another father who had also had two sons with him uh, hiking, and their last name was coincidentally Martin. Um, the other father asked if they could, their parties could join and if his sons could play with Dennis and his brother, uh, which uh, Chris Martin, Dennis's father, agreed. And so the kids started playing, and it it led to a game of hide and seek of sorts. Um, Dennis and his brother and the two other Martin boys, unrelated. Uh, decided that they were going to hike a little bit ahead and, and step off the trail and hide and wait for their parents and Dennis's grandfather and jump out and, and scare the men. And they could see them the whole time uh, up until this point. The parent, the fathers and the grandfather could see the, the boys. They went ahead. They took one step off the trail or not even off the trail. I think they took a step around a corner. He, then, he said uh, into a clump of brush. Okay. And this is a six-year-old kid. It's not a 12-year-old kid right. who's up to no good and, you know, trying to get away from the family and go do his own thing. It's literally a six-year-old child hiding behind a bush. With his older brother. Exactly. When I was six, if I was doing something like this with my older brother, even if it, my dad wasn't right there, I, you know, I wouldn't leave my brother's side. He's my older brother. Like, I just go wherever he goes. If he's up to no good, I'm up to no good. But if, he, you know, I'm with him. So... They go in this clump of brush and they're going to jump out and scare the, the men as they come around. But when they did that, Dennis's brother and the two other boys jumped out, but Dennis never reappeared. Uh, his father thought that he must have been right there. They just took like one step off the trail. He began to, began to search for him and he became kind of frantic. He, he started running up and down the trail. He covered like a stretch of two miles calling for Dennis with no sign of him. After about an hour of that, they decided to alert park authorities. Uh, they described what had happened to the rangers, um, and they told them that Dennis was right there. He only went out of their sight for a moment. Don't know what happened to him. He's wearing a red T-shirt, so they were hoping, you know, he might be easily spotted in, in the wilderness out there. Um, uh, so several park rangers began searching, but the efforts were cut short that first night when a thunderstorm blew in, and, and the area received nearly three inches of rainfall overnight. Um, according to a, a later report, streams and creeks were high and turbulent after the storm. And unfortunately, it, the, this much rain sort of washed away any reliable tracks or signs of, of Dennis, you know, from that first day. So a reoccurring theme in the missing 411 stuff is heavy weather, most often rain and wind yep. accompanying within hours these disappearances, a different type of strangeness but just an interesting note absolutely that the rain is not always accompanying but often right it's one of the the key elements of why it's so hard to search for or track um 
And you have to imagine it wasn't, they probably didn't know it was going to rain. I'm sure they wouldn't have planned to camp if they were going to get three inches of rain overnight. That's a lot of rain. So it probably wasn't something they were prepared for. Well, this was, uh, this was before dark skies, sure. the weather app and sure. all that. So, um, and, and, you know, while we talk about this and keep comparing it to the missing 401 cases, it's worth noting that David Pallades did, you know, he has investigated this case. I believe he interviewed, uh, Dennis's brother or his uncle at some point he you know this is this is a rabbit hole that he's definitely gone down I haven't specifically heard him say any theories that he has he keeps those pretty close to his chest but this is you know a story that he's looked into because it, it ticks so many boxes in his um, missing 411 category so uh, the following day about 50 people came out to resume the search for Dennis. They searched until dark, but still found no trace. Like we said, so much rain it had washed away, you know, any potential reliable tracks and things. So by the third day, the search party had expanded a lot. We, it, we went from 50 people to close to 1,400 people, including units from the National Guard and 70 Green Berets from the U.S. Army Special Forces and some FBI agents show up weird like and again this is obviously this is a topic about wild then we're gonna get to it but this case we can't just brush over the weirdness all all the weird details of this case because there are too many of them and maybe there are uh, people listening that haven't heard our discussion about the national park missing people mysteries uh the uh missing 411 topic that when the FBI is there, it's noteworthy because the FBI doesn't investigate missing person cases, even when it's a kid. Correct. They only investigate if there is evidence that some crime has been committed. So the first couple of days of an investigation, there's no evidence of any that anything has happened. No, they outside don't think- of a little kid has wandered off. Exactly. So the fact that there are that many Green Berets tells me that there just happened to be a Green Beret training camp within a hundred or two hundred miles sure. and they were like just well uh, here here are some individuals here that boots we, on you know, the ground that are right, trained. Yeah exactly so why wouldn't they so it wasn't like the Green Berets went to go investigate that's right. a pure assumption on my part that just seems like the most logical thing I agree but the FBI is that's very different right a handful of FBI agents showing up means that something is going on outside of just a kid wandering, but there's no discussion of it. Well, you know, I think you're about halfway through your synopsis here, so yeah. I don't want to uh, hijack the conversation. No, but, but that, it's, that's, it's, that's, it's that's a always really very interesting. interesting point. The yeah. FBI is like, why the fuck is the FBI here? Right. And going back to Green Berets real quick before I move forward, you'll find a lot of people online that speculate why the Green Berets were there and, and that sort of thing. And, and some people said that some of the other people in the search party um, w- later went on record to say that the Green Berets were carrying long rifles with them while they were out doing the search, which, A, it wouldn't be that weird, I guess, if the, if the Green Berets have their rifles with them, because they obviously have them, but if you go look at pictures online of the Green Berets during the search, none of them seem to have long rifles. They have they have survival gear, they have packs. A couple of them maybe have sidearms, which they would have, but they don't seem to be carrying long rifles. Right. I think that that's yeah, I, I did look at a few different uh, discussions that you know I quickly got lost in and just kind of uh, walked away from different theories as to why the long rifles weren't shown in this photograph. Again, it looks, this is somebody who hasn't read anything about it or doesn't know anything about it. It just seems like there happened to be Green Berets training in the area and it's like a great reason to go 
almost as if it was a training exercise, right. but just happened to have some real life implications. They're trained in wilderness survival. They're trained in tracking. They can they can do right. it. So, so the search went on for nearly two weeks uh, for Dennis, and the investigation later was was highly criticized for the poor organization and the large amounts of people involved because you know potentially all of these people obscured or ruined tracks and signs of Dennis and the, the organization wasn't that great especially after the thunderstorm and I just feel like it was like too many people and I think it was just you know people just trying to help um, and it just kind of all got a little diluted they did find a single footprint of interest at some point in a soft riverbed initially they thought it came from a boy scout who was part of the search but then it was determined it possibly likely came from a small child who was only wearing one shoe and in some accounts that I read one of Dennis's shoes which was a loafer I believe was eventually found but nothing else but I that wasn't mentioned in every account so the account I read it also mentioned it in the uh in the book that you got. Okay, cool. So, so they, you know, the they found this these prints where it seemed like it was a child who was only wearing one shoe, and they later found Dennis's shoe. Um, so that was kind of the only thing they turned up, other than a few days into the search, uh, the FBI received a tip from a hiker about six miles away from where Dennis went missing, and this was a guy named Harold Key. And Harold reported that he was out hiking with his family. They were looking for wildlife that day. Specifically, they ran into a park ranger at the trailhead. Um, excuse my refrigerator that just turned on, but that's for the beer that we're going to drink after this podcast. Uh, they ran the this family, Harold Key and his family, were uh, hiking. They ran into a park ranger at the beginning of their hike. They said, hey, do you, where do you think we have a good chance of spotting some wildlife? He directed them to a trail. So they went there, and uh, he, he, Harold Key said that while they were there, they uh, all of a sudden heard an enormous sickening scream which should ring some bells based on the you know the encounters that we read at the beginning of this episode about the type of screams these wild men uh, are are notorious for letting out. So they heard the scream and then they saw the source of it and it, it was at first his son thought it was a black bear and it was it was kind of up on a little uh, top of a bank or a ridge and he thought it was a black bear behind a tree but they realized that it was actually a man and it was like a disheveled man covered in hair seemingly trying to stand behind the tree and not be noticed by this family that was there looking for wildlife. Uh, whatever they saw seemed to have something red slung over its shoulder. He said like draped over his shoulder in one one account it said that it, it almost looked like it was like wrapped around his back like a backpack um, but it wasn't a backpack it was something else but it was red which is an important detail. Dennis Martin was wearing a red shirt when he went missing. Um the FBI dismissed this account partially due to the fact that the incident had happened six miles from where Dennis went missing and they didn't think it was related. But uh, there's been a lot of speculation and a lot of uh, criticism about how the FBI handled this tip. A lot of people, including a retired park ranger, have said that they think it was pos- that it could have been possible for a man to have run that distance of five to six miles in the amount of time from where Dennis, when Dennis went missing and the family saw the man the disheveled man, especially since it was mostly downhill. And when they saw, uh, when Harold Key and his family saw this, it was like the time, what they couldn't be super specific about the time. So they were like, ah, no, it seems like it was too short of a time that no one could have covered that ground. Like it's probably not related. But later when Dennis's father, Chris Martin heard about this, he would take issue with the FBI's choice to not initially tell him about this or pursue the lead any further. 
And from pretty much then on, uh, for the rest of his life, Chris Martin would say that he firmly believed that Dennis had been abducted by someone. And he unfortunately passed away and he, you know, this case remains unsolved. To this day, the disappearance of Dennis Martin is one of only five unsolved missing persons cases in the Smoky Mountains National Park. Usually they, they figure, you know, they find something, they find something that will leads them to a logical conclusion and, and, you know, the families get some kind of closure for whatever that's worth. But this wasn't the case with Dennis Martin and Dennis story is equal parts tragic and interesting. Um, you know, there's this wild man detail of the story, which is only substantiated by one eyewitness account well, or a family's account. Um, but I mean, I don't think it's as easily dismissed as a lot of people want to say it is, but, I do want to say before we get any further into this, this this detail of the story has absolutely been one of the main influences of contemporary lore about wild men in national parks in North America. And there are a lot of different versions about, you know, what Harold Key specifically said that he saw. He at one point said maybe he thought it was like a moonshiner trying to hide from them that was out there. Like, But they didn't see any equipment or anything. There was no... I think they were by a stream where they were looking for wildlife. There probably would have been some sort of uh, irrigation system to get the water out of it. They didn't see any of this stuff. Some, If you go on the Wikipedia page about the Dennis Martin case, it says that Harold Key says that he saw the man run and get into a vehicle. But that doesn't make any fucking sense because they were like miles into the wilderness. There was no vehicle there for him to get into. So I don't know where that came from. But it's just worth pointing out that this story has been manipulated and and just whether purposefully or not the details are unclear of what exactly that family saw but we're here to talk about wild men so we're gonna go down that road i think so it's the the one guy the wikipedia page he says that he saw the guy get into a vehicle dennis martin wikipedia page i mean that i didn't know that that alone is like well the guy doesn't seem like a very reliable source of information. Well, but I don't know if that is the guy saying that or someone just added that to the story. Right. I mean, A, it's Wikipedia. Right. It says one of the theories is that Dennis was abducted and taken out of the park by something or someone on the afternoon that Martin disappeared, tourist Harold Key and his family heard an enormous sickening scream and shortly thereafter witnessed an unkempt, rough-looking man running up the trail where the scream had come from. Key had thought the man who got into a white car may have been a moonshiner. But Oh, okay. But I couldn't... Wikipedia was the only place where I saw that detail of this story. Right. In the way I understood it, they specifically hiked far enough into this trail to see wildlife. So I don't know how they would have seen this man get into a car. I don't think they were by the trailhead. That seems like some type of a telephone game Wikipedia right. thing that, it, again, we're not experts on this or this. Uh, we didn't interview this guy. We don't know what happened. It, you know, the article in the book that I read this morning mentioned nothing of that. Uh, several of the other articles online. I typically don't go to the Wikipedias just for that exact reason. Exactly. And and I, I, I the only reason I mention that is I just want to be clear that like this case and this detail of this case, there are many theories about it. It's been warped. It's been, uh, you, you know, it. many people have, have sort of formed it to, it to fit their idea of what happened in this story. And I just, that's all I wanted to bring up. But I mean, it is a really, really interesting, wild detail of this missing 
this, you know, the story of this missing little boy. It's. Yeah. What do you think? That's like a, it's like a fucking table saw or something going on outside. Well, uh, I don't think we have any, you know, yeah, it's always going to happen. We'll push through. Sorry for the background noise. Y'all we're, uh, we're still pretty, you know, DIY over here. So we're just doing this in my apartment and we're doing some renovations on strange day headquarters. uh, Yeah. So it, if you look at just the details, Sans Wikipedia entry, it's strange that the family had the last name. That doesn't really have anything to do with anything. It's Martin. It's, you know, if it was Schneider, say whatever, that's a common name. If it was Jewel, it's a little more interesting. It was Martin. It, it's a probably a very common name throughout America. Not, not a, a key element. Just a cool fact, but what I don't think that has anything to do. Some people think it has, you know, like the uh, Abraham Lincoln assassination wormhole of <laughs> right, right. Like, I mean, that stuff's way more interesting, but I just don't think it has anything to do with anything. I don't really think it's worth paying attention to. They yeah. just both happen to be Martins. They both happen to be Smiths. Right. Whatever. Um, the fact that he, his father literally saw him go behind the bush, I think is, it's not like he lost track of him. It's not like he wandered off. It goes back to the missing 411 stuff where literally you're there one minute, especially with the kids, and then you're just not there. So that's like something's stalking you, something's watching you, something's waiting for the right moment to take you, whether it's a mountain lion or a a wild mountain man. Right. It just seems... Moment of opportunity. Very, very likely that it's something that's waiting for the precise second... And, you know, if you're really going to accept this idea that there are weird humans out in the woods, then, of course, they're going to be paying attention to everything they see. Anytime somebody comes in, like, that's not within that bubble of thought. That's not really that extreme to think, well, yeah, it's going to stalk you if you're out there. Not in any, like, uh, you know, facetious way or whatever, but just it's going to probably see what you're doing. I guess it is when it's starting to abduct people. We're pushing through, right? It's not that bad. It's just a hammer. You guys hear the stuff in the yeah. background. It's, it's, uh, they're, uh, I don't know what they're doing. They're drilling to the center of the earth outside my it's apartment like they're right just now. Making stuff up. <laughs> yeah. It's like one, one's a hammer, one's a drill, one's a whatever. They're working. They're men, they're men working. I'll do what I can to minimize it in the edit, but we apologize in I advance. Uh, Okay, so I lost my train of thought. So, yeah, I mean, it, if, if there's some weird untamed human living out there, it's going to be taking stock of what you're doing in its territory. Absolutely. So up to that point, there's nothing really strange. Why it would want to abduct a child, you know, because in the Missing 411 stuff, there's all, all different types of people go missing. A child seems like the easiest, you know, candidate. Of course, it's the smallest. Uh, I think he was also small for his age. I read about Dennis Martin. So he's like this little, you know, kid, a runt. Yeah. Running small around. to be slung over your shoulder as you take off. Sure. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of, I mean, God, that's just such a horrible, what, 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 what do you think? Why would they do that? Uh, I don't know. Cannibal thing? Is he just like grabbing something because he's curious about it? I don't know. I mean, a lot of people, when you go down this, this 
rabbit hole on the internet want to point to cannibalism, but I honestly just think that that's just, you know, the scariest version of the story. I, I don't, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I, I really couldn't say why maybe why, why did, why would a human, you know, why would a domesticated human cap trap a wild man? Like I, I guess, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's actually a really funny, interesting point. So there is no real, motive right they're not taking it back and raising it to be a wild man junior you're not i I don't i think the cannibal thing is just it just seems silly and not really it just seems more folkloric exactly than you know not that we're talking about the the hard facts and the science behind it you know we're just talking about some crazy shit that we read about we gotta draw a line somewhere yeah sure it just doesn't like why what 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 did you see it do that? Did you find some remain? No, you didn't find anything. It's just like, oh, it's your... If a guy's getting you, he's probably going to eat you. It's just, I think that's as far as that goes. So I think that's not really even... The whole cannibal tribe thing is not worth discussing. Um, one, You know, one thing I, I've been thinking about a lot is he... So he went into the brush... Dennis went into the brush to hide with his brother and two other boys. So, like, how does this... If we want to believe that he was abducted by a wild man... How does that play out without the other boys know seeing this being or, or being privy to this happening? Do you think? Do you think he was the smallest, so he was just going to be the last one to jump out of the bush, and it was just like that quick of a moment where the you know something took the opportunity while he was alone for two seconds? If this is, and now we're just accepting that everything that we've talked about today is there's some element of truth to it. If this, if a human living out in the woods for decade after decade is capable of sneaking up on a deer. Not that this was the same man. Sure. But if that type of skill arises in a human as a natural consequence of spending its entire life, I don't think it's that crazy. If it, if, you know, the whatever the thing in the Northwest where the woman said that the he would snap a deer's neck right which, who, know, who knows if that's true or not but right. if we're going to accept that that's true yeah grabbing a little kid is like child's play Possible. if you could yeah. be sneaky enough to sneak up on a deer and yeah, snap yeah. its neck you can probably position yourself to abduct a child i mean maybe it it was like a food thing maybe it's just another animal that he's i don't know i'm just saying like the the idea of like a cannibalistic uh like inbred cult out i just don't yeah, think that no, has no. anything I to do with anything i'm not saying that a wild not. man wouldn't eat you right if you're a little sorry six-year-old kids don't be the smallest one <laughs> right but that's a good point though he was the smallest one and, and thinking about you know how the well, i keep asking myself how the other boys didn't notice it but how i said like if i was with my little brother or if i was with my older brother because i am the younger brother in the woods I would, you know, be follow him around whatever he did, but at the same time, my older brother is probably not really attention, paying that close attention to me because he knows I'm just going to be in tow. So maybe, you know, they were thinking about hiding, they were thinking about jumping out and scaring their dads. Their attention was on that for just long enough for them to be like, oh no, little Dennis, like, I'm, there's probably not a world in which they were like holding his hand and like focusing on this child at every moment. So there probably would have been opportunity where he was just there separated for a long enough time to be grabbed by someone or something. Yeah, you really just need a few seconds. And also on that same page, if he's out with his older brother, he probably has some sense of security. Sure, exactly. Not not that you should be 
watching out for a wild man that might abduct you, but right. you're just maybe. And his dad's there, his grandfather's there. These yeah, are they're like, chilling. That's Father's are, Day. Yeah, these they're are hanging out for Father's Day. He's just hiding in a bush. So, so then thinking, okay, he was maybe snatched, and this, this, if it happened by a wild man, had to cover six miles in in a in a short amount of time, and I don't know what that amount of time is, but thinking back to these other encounters that we read about about how fast these things are which Harold Key also mentioned he said that it let out an enormous like unearthly scream and then took off running at like crazy pace these are to his white car I just have this I'm so sorry to interrupt you I just have this hilarious image (laughs) of this like mud caked feral man with a child and he lets out this crazy scream and then he just runs like 30 feet to his parked like Ford Taurus. I should have left that detail out of here, but I don't know. I just thought it was weird. That just goes to show like Wikipedia is, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put on there. He got into his white Ford Taurus. I'm going to edit it to say a a white Ford Taurus, but I I should have left that detail out. But yeah, so this thing lets out a scream and then takes off running super fast. These are, you know, the two most prominent details of any of these encounters that we read about in this research. And he had something red, slung over his back or his shoulder or whatever so just I mean I'm sorry to get macabre for a moment but think of the uh, uh, the limp lifeless body of a six year old you could I mean a grown man is not that's not going to slow him down sure somebody who's accustomed to running through the woods and fending for himself right has made it that long right it's probably not a not a big deal uh, I remember reading that his father was like absolutely furious that the FBI had failed to mention this and that he had to hear about this on the local news or in the local newspaper. Right. Could you imagine? It's so fucked up. It's, I mean, it's such a heartbreaking story to begin with, but it's just like, I suppose giving the father that info, it's not like he's going to strike out on his own and solve the case with that one piece of information, but it still just seems like the one relevant thing. Absolutely. And they were like, well, it happened six miles away. That's not that far. It's not that far at all. You could get there, what, that could be an hour or two, even not running. Right. You could make six miles in a couple hours on foot. Yeah, I mean, it's not... yeah, I, I can't imagine how infuriating that must must have been for him because it's also going back to how weird and, and, and notable it is that the FBI is there in the first place and then they get like one lead and they don't follow up on it. That's pretty unacceptable. I don't know if you read this. Uh, one of the one of the FBI agents who was oh yeah he committed suicide. Yeah, who knows if it had anything to do with that? But yeah. I don't know. You botch a case, you feel guilty. I think he was from that area as well. So it was kind of like a hometown oh, geez. case for him. Yeah, I did read that. I'm sure it weighed on him. I'm sure, you know, he's probably not thinking wild man. Maybe worst case scenario, if, if you don't want to think of it in those terms, is that he was abducted and, and maybe, or at least it was a possibility and he didn't follow up on it. I'm sure I'm sure it must have weighed on him. It's sad. It's terribly sad. And then Dennis, Dennis's dad had, you know, died without ever getting any sense of closure. It's terrible. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's very sad. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to say that that you know all of these cases or these encounters rather take a you, you have to be able to suspend your disbelief and you you got to be a believer and obviously we are. But this one especially and it, but it, even if it wasn't a wild man encounter, the missing four one one elements to it are very very interesting. There are a lot of different theories out there. A lot of people have covered this topic. Um, it's it's wild. It's a really interesting case. Did you say that that was one of five in the Smoky Mountains that were unsolved? Yes. 
So I must have read in that book that you got me, I must have read about the other four. Okay. Two of them weren't even worth talking about. They were so clearly somebody who had committed suicide or walked off. There were two that were on this similar vibe. So they must also be two of the the five unsolved. Uh, one of them was just a couple years later in 1976. This girl, uh, Trenny, that's a new first name for me. Trini, Trenny Gibson. She was 16 years old. She was on kind of like an impromptu field trip for her school. The science teacher was like, hey, we're actually going to go out to the woods today and do this or whatever. Um, and she was last seen. Uh, it was an overcast fall day and she was last seen gazing off the trail uh, and eventually kind of classmates saw her looking at something and she kind of walked off the trail to apparently go investigate. By the time that they were able to reach the part of the trail where she had walked off, which was only 20 or 30 feet beyond them, gone without a trace. Of course, they interviewed the kids. Everybody had, you know, they talk about ex-boyfriend stuff, all kinds of ridiculous things. Her ex-boyfriend's car was following the school bus. These things that didn't make any sense. Ah. Um, so just, you know, yeah. vanished into the mist of the fall day, the thin air. Um, and then in, in 81, there was a third a woman who was camping got just a few feet, you know, visibly, uh, you know, still within your like eyesight, but just got a little bit ahead of where the rest of the group was hiking and then just no vanished without a trace. So these are a couple of, I don't know if they were also abducted by wild men. These are ones that haven't been fleshed out the way that the, uh, Dennis Dennis Martin case has been, but they're equally just like, and these are, you know, people that are, Adults, a 16 year old, I guess, counts as an adult. Sure. More than a child, as far as like your uh, aversion to danger and your decision making. Yeah, absolutely. I got to read that book when you're done with it. The book that Ian's talking about is called uh, National Park Mysteries and Disappearances by Steve Stockton. So he's a gentleman that's actually from this area that we're talking about. Yeah, I want to read that when you're finished. It's it's interesting. It's cool. I haven't gotten all the way through it. I kind of focused in on a few things so that we could discuss them today. Yeah. Uh, I do plan on finishing it. But anyway, so yeah, there's a handful of other cases. I don't know why. I just assumed there would be a heavier concentration of unsolved cases in the Smoky Mountains. Yeah, that's. And, I, I read that in one of the articles that, yeah, they're, that the, most of them they get to some sort of conclusion about, but that there were five, like Dennis's, that there's just nothing. Interesting. Pretty, pretty interesting. So encounters like the Dennis Martin case bring up the question of whether or not we are talking about wild men in the sense of undomesticated human beings living undetected in the wilderness or if these are encounters with people who are choosing to live alone and off the grid in extraordinarily rural and wild locations. And I think that there is a difference here, like a distinct difference, and it's something that we need to consider when we talk about this topic. You know, some of these stories can be highly harmful to low income and off the grid residents in these areas, especially in regions like Appalachia, which has seen an unfortunate stereotyping and uh, discrimination for generations. You know these stories about cannibalism; that they're harmful to these these communities of people. Even if they're not communities, even if they're out there on their own, living off the grid, you don't want to start stereotyping unnecessarily. But you know, inaccurate stereotypes ignore serious issues that stem from a lack of access to appropriate resources for the people's people in these areas. So what? So it's important to distinguish what a wild man is and, and what a wild man isn't. And I think there are several possibilities here, right? I mean, there. There, it were what we're thinking about mo- for most of these stories. I think are these 
wild men, not people living off the grid in solitude. We're talking about wild men, right? Right, exactly. We're not talking about a, you know, backwoods person or that stereotype or somebody that chooses, you know, I'm from the Northwest. I'm from very close to, you know, like Idaho and Montana. We have a term that we use, not really derogatory, but, you know, we call people like that hicks. I'm sure there's different terms for different people they're not it's not like nice or you know complimentary it's just kind of like this certain type of person that chooses to be a little bit further out whatever for whatever reason i personally think it's awesome i wish i had the courage to live like that i just love you know artisanal coffee shops and artisanal record shops a little too much um but no we're not talking about that at all we're talking about people that are naked and have hair down to their waist and are caked in mud yes so we're not we're not, we're just not, we're not talking about those people. I think the people that we're talking about are the outcasts of those people that are kind of back, backwoods out in Appalachia or the Ozarks or whatever it is. So, you know, those it's people random, take it further, exactly. whether they choose to or not, they, it I, is I further. Yeah. I don't think they're taking it further. I think if you have those people that are already inherently isolated from what we would call, you know, confines of civilization you know you get somebody who lives oh he lives two hours away from the closest town he's a an outcast no he just he's living his own life the way that he wants to he's just doing something differently within those communities the way that we have homeless people there's naturally going to be people that don't want to participate in that or they can't participate in it because of some mental thing that they have going on so I really I look at these wild men in a, you know, I, I hate, I'm not trying to brag and be like, I'll cut it scientifically. But I think if you look at it rationally and scientifically, it seems like those communities, those kind of people living on the fringes, they're going to have mentally ill people. They're instead of going to live under the freeway or in, you know, the park or by in the subway or whatever, they're probably going to go live out in the woods. Yeah. And I mean, we've all seen people on the subway that look like they, it's like that, that's technically a human, you know, not to be mean again, this is just reality. So yeah, you probably have people out in the woods that don't have access to a people that care enough about them to help them be, you know, I don't want to say like mental health resources because that just seems so bizarre given that we're talking, you know what right. I mean? They're out there and they're, but they're fucked up. People, yeah. they have mental problems. Yeah, you're and right. They, you it's know, a you lack go, of resources. You, you are from a family that is barely kind of getting through each year. And you're like a 14-year-old who has mental problems. You're probably, if you flip out and go do your own thing, that's probably just what your life is now. You know, you figure out how to live somewhere out in the woods. You don't talk to anybody ever you're probably going to forget how to like be normal and communicate and you know, all these things. That's where that's, that's what I'm thinking. So I think they are just people that have, for whatever sad reason ended up out in the woods. Uh, and it seems like it's, it, it, you know, again, this is speculation, but it seems like it could be, it's like a self perpetuating thing. It's like, once you are out there, it's, it's sort of like, uh, cyclical. It's like, you're only going to get, further disconnected from everything else. Yeah, and further connected to, you the know, wild, mimicking the what they, yeah, exactly, yeah. and you know, doing what it takes to survive, 
you know, you have to adapt. So once you're out there, you're out there. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not coming back. Right. And, and uh, you know, you're not a changing your mind. B being found and dragged back so that somebody can take care of you. It's like, if you're at that point where you're isolated enough, it's probably what it is. So th- that's what I personally think it is. I think if they lived in the city, they'd probably be a subway person, a person living under a bridge. This is just that version, right? Th- their version of that. So I, I think that's not, it doesn't explain a lot of things, but it's just, that's what I, that's what I think it is. I don't know what about that would make them want to abduct people, but that's not really what we're talking about because we've already talked about the missing 411 stuff. Right. I do have a few ideas that overlap that we can talk about in a minute, but... Yeah, but I I think you're right, though. I don't know that what would make them abduct people either because I do think that you can dispel the idea of them being outwardly cannibalistic pretty easily because if you're in the wilderness and you're you're going to make it work. You're going to make... You're going to forage and you're going to hunt and you're going to make that work. But uh, it's hard to say what you know if if someone whether it be Dennis Martin or someone else has been abducted by a wild man or a wild woman it's hard to say what their motives would be but they probably would wonder what the fuck our motives would be if we try to you know if, if in the 1800s when P.T. Barnum tried to capture a wild man and put him in uh, on display in a cage what you know you could ask the same thing about that so take a closer look at it That's yeah. a, they're, they're still human they're yeah. still have human curiosities the thing that doesn't really align with what I'm saying is the uh, more than one of them living together. Right. So that's that's a trip. The one story you said where one whistled, one responded to the whistle, yeah. and they kind of had a common, they're like teaming up to chase this guy down, basically. If, if that's what happened, he felt that that's what happened. Whatever it was, one whistled to the other one, and all of a sudden there were two. Right. Is there some possibility that there is a community or a, fam- a family or just a handful of them did they did they bump into each other is it i mean if, if you're talking dense woods is it possible that there are little strange families or communities of these things and that's just Maybe. how they live i mean it's not that what it's I not think- that far of a stretch it just seems unlikely it, it's certainly doesn't seem like the norm what I think it would be, I think it, what, and I didn't have this thought as we were discussing that story, but it, I had it now, is that siblings, siblings, two, oh, sure. two brothers or, who went through some sort of trauma and decide to remove themselves from society and, and become, you know, quote unquote feral. And now right. they're, and they've only ever known each other and that's what they do. Sure. Yeah. That's, I'm not, but that's a very sound, uh, solution for that if, yeah it feels that feels like easier dots to connect in my mind than like uh, you know wild men community or even even a mate maybe like I, it feels that feels like a stretch right to me. that's that connection seems like the most rational and reasonable connection for them to have so yeah maybe like a some off the grid kind of family the parents die sure the kids are two years old or three five you know whatever they're kids enough to where they haven't really been trained to be adults yet right and that's just how they you know they ran out of food at home they started going out into the woods sure and I they mean, just it doesn't yeah that's not the craziest story it's not it is a crazy story but it's also 
you can see all the steps and all the steps make sense. Maybe. To go from the first step to the last step, it seems crazy. But if you look at, okay, well, let's say that these kids grew up three or four hours away from any other, you know, they're literally out in the middle of nowhere and maybe they had one parent. Maybe, right. you know, it, who knows? That parent wasn't in the picture anymore. They died or whatever happens. And they just kind of had to be, right? yeah, fend for themselves. So it's, it's it seems... You know, it's just such a fantastic idea, no. but it really is. It's not that it's bound to have happened at some point. Right. But let's get into the fantastic idea, uh, you know, the fantastic ideas about this. This is inherently not uh, likely not something paranormal or supernatural, like you said, that we're talking about here. This is, you know, just a, a part of human existence. But how does it tie into paranormal or supernatural or fantastic ideas? Like, I know you have some thoughts on that. Oh, I don't know. I mean, like missing, it, let, let's start with missing 411. Like, how does this intersect with that wild phenomenon? I think reading about the, the behavior of these, you know, the kind of not stalking you so much outside of, you know, the few abductions, reading about their behavior, it just, it does kind of seem like a, an out of touch human who is just. You know, they talk about them being camouflaged and stuff and having covered in hair. I think that is just what they would look like if you saw one for a second or two. It just seems like a really dirty human who hasn't. I mean, you know, for those of you who don't know me personally, I have long hair. I have a big beard. If I spent a year out in the woods, I'm going to be you know, covered and stuff. You are a great candidate for a wild man. I, I, I could say. be a wild man. Yeah. Maybe, uh, you know, it's not too late. Um, so, you know, the whole covered in fur, red eyes, you know, even we see red hair over and over to me, that just seems like brown dirt. Right. Sun, being reflected by the light. It just, yeah, it just yeah. looks, you know, they're not, they don't have, they're not covered in red hair. Right. I'm not willing to give this any supernatural credibility. I think it's a very human, sad thing that we're seeing. That's all. Never once in the, you know, six hours of research I've done to discuss this topic has it ever been like, oh, this is something weird or unexplainable. You read the stories and you're like, oh, well, this is just a person who wants it to be more fantastic than it actually is. Or, yeah. you know, a person who's just uh bullshitting right whatever and I agree with that and that wasn't that that was a, a bad way to ask the question but my my question was more of if we will take we'll, we'll agree that this is some sort of terrestrial natural explanation but how does it like intersect with like something like missing 411 that is usually given some missing 411 is usually thought of under the lens of being some sort of weird phenomenon. I feel like there's an intersection here that you want to get into. There definitely is. Uh, I think when we talked about missing 411, we exclusively talked about kind of paranormal stuff. We talked about portals, gates, metal sounds, Sasquatch. snapping shut, all, all these things. I think looking at this now, some of those cases could be, you know, you're abducted by a wild man. I think I, we had talked about before, you know, the unexplored regions of these parks. They're still part of the park, but that's just a, 
a mass of impenetrable for a normal person. Who knows what's out there? That overlap with a place where people who are not trained to be in the wilderness go to hang out. There's a lot of people that go hiking or they know what they're doing and stuff. A lot of national parks attract people that just, that's the only time that year they're going to be right. out in the woods it's a day or whatever. Trip, it's a family vacation. So you get people that kind of maybe wander off a little bit and maybe they get a little too close to, you know, not like the den of a wild man or something, but they get enough off the beaten path, maybe even one or two steps off of it. It doesn't seem that strange to me that there is some person that lives out in the woods that's kind of maybe has a very childlike intellect that is looking at you and curious about you, or maybe it doesn't want to hurt you. Maybe it's, you know, who knows what's going through this thing's head. But a lot of those cases, the missing 411 cases, they had uh, talked about, you know, clothes being found as if they had been buried and unearthed. Uh, clothes being found miles away from where the bodies were found. Right. As if something had specifically taken the clothes. Placed uh, under a tree or up against a log. Exactly, exactly. Uh, there were stories, and these always stood out like in such a weird way to me. And it's so interesting now to kind of get a little bit further into that. The people would be searched for for weeks, and then their body would be found naked Right. On the hiking trail. Right. And of course, when we were talking about that, we were talking about like the wildest paranormal fucking crazy shit that you could imagine. So that's where your brain's at. But if you think about, let's say, a, a wild man who abducts somebody who steps off the trail, a child, whatever it is, the low-hanging fruit, uh, and they just don't know what to do. They, you know, struggle, kill you, they intentionally kill you, they suffocate you, they snap your neck, whatever it is. Just drag or you. accidentally. Accidentally, sure. You know, and then just dragging you back. Uh, face down in a puddle was something that was so bizarre to me that I just could not wrap my head around. Like, why would, you know, I don't know, like a ghost or an alien, whatever right. other fucking weird shit you or could think secret about. secret government office. Yeah, like, why would it put you, but if you think about a person who lives in the woods who does not have like a, an adult brain. They have maybe like a five or six year old's brain. It's like they know that like the water is bad. They know that the water can hurt you if you breathe it in. So the idea of a wild man kind of dragging a body to the water to kind of wash its hands of it and be like, well, yeah, this is how it died. It was face down in the pot. You know, it just seems this like very kind of primitive, but still human way of thinking about yeah, that's really the situation. So it just, I don't know. It's, it seems that way. It like, I think that's like the most likely thing. Yeah. That's I'm not saying that a wild man doing that is the most likely thing, but in that context of what the fuck is going out sure. on in the woods or in these parks. Yeah. That's a really interesting. I don't, I don't think this has happened 1500 times, but I, I think, there are certain cases where, you know, because you see that several times over, found face down in a puddle of water naked. Right. So clearly abducted, clothes removed, whatever the fuck horrifying thing happened, and then brought back out into like public view and just, eh, 
Right. I'll just put him face down in this puddle and make it look like he drowned. It just seems that's another aspect, though, that you, uh, you that you just jogged in my memory. They find them in like places that they searched previously. So yeah, you're, they're, yeah, you're they're, exactly. They're you're, brought back. You're on to something. Yes, you're you're totally on to something. Like yeah, that there was that one woman who was found face down in the creek. They had searched that area. She was naked. Her clothes were found elsewhere. It's like yeah, someone, something, someone with childlike mentality. Whatever, for whatever reason, they decide to interact with this woman. They kill her accidentally, maybe on purpose. They're like, "Oh fuck!" Like a kid. Like I, I, I this is bad. I gotta I'll take it back to the water, put her there, leave her clothes here. Like I, like you, exactly like you said, wash hands. That, that what do you adds want from up me? so much. It I, does. It's, that's pr- that's really interesting, dude. Also, the the clothes thing, because that was another thing that really tripped me out when we were talking about the missing four one one stuff, is that. The body would be found. Cause of death would be uncertain. And then they would find the clothes like three miles up at the top of the mountain or whatever, just somewhere that it made no sense. Sometimes the clothes were folded. Remember there was one where the clothes were put back on the person, but they were like inside out. Right. And like an arm was where the leg was supposed to be. And it was just like, so it had some understanding of clothes and limbs, but not enough to be able to kind of redress so it does kind of seem like a primitive like oh I got this thing Uh, I suffocated it what's it look like naked does it look like me yeah well I'm not interested in this thing anymore I'm gonna put its clothes back on and give it back right give it back yeah Ah, that's so interesting man that's such it's such a that's a really really interesting theory it's kind of scarier (laughs) yeah yes absolutely it's fucking than uh uh portal thing or like humans are the scariest thing of all by far yeah by far yeah that's really wild um so yeah those i think there's an 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 overlay there so that's not really like a supernatural or paranormal thing it's just kind of like almost in a sick way a real world solution to what appears to be a paranormal like disappearances right you know vanishing into thin air again i just want to say like something stalking you and snatching you that's vanishing into thin air yeah absolutely. you know nobody else sees that you've vanished into thin air and if in if you think about the cases where they don't find where where that these things these people or these clothes don't reappear who i mean who else know you know who knows where you can take a body in a, in a national park, in a wilderness area where it will never be found other than someone who lives there. A, like, a, a cave, a, yeah. like a mile away at the top of a mountain that only you would, you know. Right. Absolutely. Which is a whole nother aspect of missing 401 and maybe maybe wild men as well, like the cave systems underneath, underneath the national parks. But we'll save that for another time. But yeah, I really like that theory. I, I mean, not you know, like is a weird way to describe it, <laughs> but I think that you're onto something there. I think it's, uh, you know, worth, I think I might revisit just the episode, the dispatch that we did about missing 411, maybe some of the notes and just see if there's anything else there just for my own. Where thing. else just, you can apply it. Yeah, yeah. It just seems, seems cool. And, uh, not cool. No, but, but it's super it, interesting. Yeah. Just, I like, mean, being wild is fucking cool. It is. Like, shout out to all the wild men. Born to be wild. Q born to be wild. You don't need to be uh, abducting people, though. Yeah, I, I like that theory a lot, man. That I, It's really interesting. It's a... I don't know. The, the more... <laughs> it's it's funny because, like, 
that certainly in a way that narrows it down, but at the, at the same time, it also like broadens the, the topic so much, but it's like, that's what keeps this shit interesting is the way that all these things intersect and in, in the possibilities and, and the, I mean, listen, if you're open to the idea that there are interdimensional portals or Sasquatch or whatever, you, you gotta be open to all of it. And, and I, in my opinion, not all of it, but you gotta, you have to be open enough to realize. I don't know what the point I was trying to make is, is there, but I, I think it's very interesting. I, it's just not that fucking crazy. It's just not that. It's crazy. a weird yeah. thing if you're thinking about it for the very first time, right? But if you think about the big picture of life on Earth, there's probably going to be some people living just as a numbers game by default out in those weird places. Sure. For whatever fucking reason, a half a dozen over the course of a hundred years ended up out here. And like three or four times, people from our world saw them and they interacted with us. It's really not that crazy of an idea. It's not, no. And, and there are obviously going to be things like with anything where three or four real times turns into, you know, uh, these folkloric or urban legends or stories that grow and, and become more disconnected from what the truth was. But, you know, it, it's obvious that for the most part, the contemporary legends of these wild men living in the U.S., while they may be exacerbated now, they, I think a few stories here and there, have they, they came from somewhere, right? I mean, it's like they had to have come from somewhere. And, and I didn't realize when we chose this topic that, Wild, wild men, feral men living in national parks and like more specifically cannibalistic wild men living in national parks has sort of been on trend lately for uh, uh, people talking about this on the internet, um, which makes us timely, I guess, in a way. But apparently there's like an entire subcategory on TikTok about wild men conspiracy that, that, that popped up within the last like 18 months or so. But... TikTok is the videos, right? Yeah, yeah. So who, what is, can you tell me a little bit about that? I, I didn't look into it, but apparently like people will like go out to the woods and like tell stories about how their grandfather like had an encounter with the wild men and how their babies get snatched and all this shit. But it's like these urban legends. It's basically just like, it, it, it. it's a platform for people to tell these like contemporary urban legends. Oh, I see. They think are rooted in something real and what they are rooted in are things like the, the Dennis Martin cases. But Again, like going back further than that, like if even 1% of these stories about wild beings living out in the wilderness are authentic, that just makes me wonder like what else is out there that we don't know about? Oh, right. Not even 1%. If one story if one is story true, is true. And that's just, it's true. It, yeah. And, and I don't know. It's, an, it's a really interesting topic. I, I mean, it, it certainly feels like exactly what you said and we have reiterated there's nothing paranormal or, or supernatural this is just like the human world but it doesn't make it any less weird or interesting yeah it doesn't have to be magical or paranormal to be strange that is and that's what true. Andrew and I are about you know strange is a big umbrella term Mothman UFOs Padma McCord all these things are strange this is not uh X-Files fodder. This is just 
something strange that exists in our world or potentially exists. Right. And we want to know more about it. Yeah. What does David Pallades have to say about wild men? That's, he, I see. I got to revisit the whole. You know, no, I didn't read anything that he specifically said about wild men. I just know that he took heavy interest in the Dennis Martin case, but he plays all of his, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't really give much out there about his ideas about the supernatural. He like is really happy to present the evidence that will lead you down that role or that, that road. But he doesn't, doesn't really say a lot out loud. So I, I'm not sure. I, I, I need to revisit as well. Maybe maybe we'll do a, a, a follow-up to our Missing 411 episode. I would love to because it's something that's uh, stayed interesting. Absolutely. It's not one of these topics where it's like I put it to bed as soon as we're done talking about it. It's right. something that I think stays relevant. And now that we're getting into this, you know, I, I think there are some other overlaps there that could be interesting Absolutely. for... Uh, for the listeners, I don't know. Let's see what people yeah, think. We'll, if, we'll, if, we'll, if, we'll if that's see something that would be interesting for the listener, I would. And if you haven't heard our first episode, as we said earlier, you can join our Patreon and listen to back episodes of The Strange Dispatch. And there's one about the missing four and one, uh, which is a really, really, really interesting topic. Really, really big. It feels like uh, we could do multiple more episodes and, and not even have to revisit the stuff that we've already talked about. And but just scary. It's so and some of the scary. scariest stuff we've I talked mean, about. The wilderness is terrifying. National parks are huge and vast and scary. And like the idea of, like you said earlier, of you or someone you love, like disappearing without a trace or even weirder, you find them under these really bizarre circumstances. It's, it's, it's bizarre, but yeah, I think that that's, I mean, that's wild men in North America. It's, uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe there was a time when they existed. Maybe they still do. It's interesting though. And this is a great example of, uh, a, a type of legend and a topic where you really gotta, you really gotta, you know, vet your sources here. There's so much out there. There are whole subreddits on Reddit, like, dedicated to the idea of there are for sure 100% cannibalistic wild men living in the Smoky Mountains that snatch children and my grandfather saw one and they're fucking out there and it's like you just gotta, you know, just listen, I love the weird I love the strange, I will fucking bend my brain over backwards to to wrap my head around you know, topics that, that fall into the realm of what we like but you still, you got to keep one foot with a toe on the ground while you do all that. So just, just remember that. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I still think it's a very wild, wild world out there in the national parks and in the wilderness of North America. And who knows what's going on. So that is our episode of the strange dispatch on wild men living in North America. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you haven't checked out Strange Days, the zine yet, please do. Strangedayszine.com, Strange Days Zine on Instagram, on Twitter. We have a Patreon with back episodes of this show. Uh, the newest volume of the zine is out, volume seven, as I said earlier. And if you have a strange story that you want to submit to the zine or the podcast, please do so. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at strangedayszine.com. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Anything you want to add, Ian? No, uh, again, it's nice to be back at yeah. quarters recording the way I think, you know, I think this is the best way to do it. It's the natural way to do it. It's the way God intended if there meant to podcast. I imagine that we would never hit 
you know, there's a level of podcasting that you can only hit when there's a table saw running outside of your Brooklyn apartment. (laughs) And I'm glad that we have hit that milestone here with all of you. So thank you very much. Um, yeah, look for some new episodes of the dispatch coming soon. Uh, we've got some exciting stuff coming up, some fun topics and an interview that is going to be really cool. It's coming up soon. And I think I've got some Patreon only stuff planned for the next, uh, sometime in September as well. So keep an eye on that. And as always, thanks for listening. Thank you for supporting us. Stay safe. Stay strange. Stay strange.